I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Judges, the 13th chapter. Judges 13. I want to start just a, should be a two-week series on the life of Samson. And we're entitling this series, The Road to Ruin, which you do not want to be on. Hopefully we can identify some waypoints along this road to ruin that you can mark down so that you make sure that you don't fall prey to them and that uh, you get stuck on the road to ruin. Really, this is a story about struggling with the sin nature. It's a, it's a story about being set apart, not falling apart. And, um, you know, Christians aren't sinless, but we gen- generally should try to sin less, you know, really. Um, and we should seek to resist evil. We're going to find in Samson's life that uh, it seemed like he couldn't get a hold of this. Now, he strangled a lion, but he couldn't strangle the lust that was in his life. He burst ropes, but he was bound by this appetite of lust in his, in his life. He burned the enemy's crops, yet he was inflamed with desire for their, their women. Um, he was strong, but he really wasn't in control. So, though he was a champion, he was captivated by uh, his enemy and some of their things, and he, was, he really conquered himself. Now, sometimes we read stories about Moses, and Joshua, David, Elijah, Gideon, Esther. Um, and, you know, we think, oh, I could never be like, like them. But um, not so with Samson. You know, he, he's really a lot like us. You know, most of us know what it means to be tempted. Most of us know what it means to uh, be filled with this feeling of wanting revenge and seeking revenge. And that's the way Samson was. You know, we've been there. And we can understand those things. We can understand it when we see Samson falling to these things and going through these challenges in his life. And really, one of the things about Samson that we ought to know is that there's a a lot of Samson in all of us, and there's a little bit of Samson in most of us. So we shouldn't just be so quick just to point the finger at Samson, but we need to be pointing it back at ourselves and examining ourselves and see what, what's going on in here in my life. One of the things that we learn from Samson's life is that sin will always take you further than you're willing to go. It will always keep you and hold you longer than you're willing to stay, and it'll always cost you more than what you're willing to pay. Those are the things that we can learn from his life. His story begins there in Judges chapter 13, verse 1. Let's read it there. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Don't pass over that first word in that sentence where it says, again. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. You know, we're living in a time much like the people of God back in that day, in Samson's day. Uh, they were enslaved to the Philistines. You know, today, uh, or, or back then, God's people were conquered by the Philistines by intermarriage. And um, they were really, uh, they became integrated into their enemies' ways, uh, their, their enemies' worship, and their enemies' w- women, for sure. And it, the things of God and the traditions of God in their life just began to fade away. And uh, they began to adopt and to accept the ways of the world in, uh, in that particular day and age, those that were around them, rather than being set apart for God. And we're seeing that, I believe, in, in the church today, in Christianity today, that 
you know, that just the ways of the world, we are adopting those ways and, it's, and we are uh, becoming more like the world than the world becoming more like us as a type of Christ. And so for this reason, you know, God planned a release for his people back then, and it was going to be through a judge that he would raise up. It was going to be through Samson that he called and predetermined before Samson was ever even born. And, um, you know, when God wants to do something really, really great, he doesn't send an army, he sends an angel. And that's exactly what he did in verse 2, there in Judges chapter 13. We see that the angel appears to uh, a man and his wife, and he tells them that they're going to have a son who's going to deliver the Israel, uh, Israel from the Philistines. In verse 2, it says, A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean, because you will, be, you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin to deliver the Israel from the hands of the Philistines. We see here in verse 5 that the, the Bible tells us that he was a Nazarite. And the Nazarite, you know, the word there, the Hebrew word for Nazarite simply means to be set apart. It's a set apart one. And, you know, really there's a parallel between Samson and us as believers. Um, you know, from the very beginning, even while Samson was in his mother's womb, he was being set apart for, for God and for God's work. Today, God's chosen us, and he set us apart. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3, the third chapter of Ephesians. I want us to see there how we fit into this thing as well. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, For his intent was that now, through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has set us apart to be a deliverer in a sense, a visible uh, expression to principalities, powers, to the rulers and high places that we are set apart. We are the people of God. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So the same way that God chose Samson before he came into this world, for him to be holy and blameless in his sight, God has chosen you and I to be holy and blameless in his sight. We're to be set apart. How you doing on that? Or is, isn't that what Dr. Phil says? How's that working for you? <laughs> How's that working for you? The Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, he says, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. God's called us to a holy life. Just like the Nazarite had a certain uh, thing that they were to be set apart, God's called us to a holy life. He says, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. In Numbers chapter 6, it tells us the three things that set a Nazarite apart. The first thing was to avoid contact with uh, grapes or for, with wine, anything, the fruit of the vine. Uh, they also was not to, to touch a dead body or to come in contact with the dead. And they were to let their hair grow and not let a razor touch it. You know, there's some interesting things about that. that let's, let's look at that so that as we go through this story about Samson, that we can see when he, when he misses it, how that in a sense, really, we better watch out because we miss it too. When they 
to abstain from wine and all the products of the vine really represents giving up all worldly pleasures. It was to keep them from being distracted by worldliness in order that they could draw close to God and to perform expl- uh, extraordinary exploits for him. You know, we're to set ourselves apart for God. We're to really put off the world, not, not becoming ingrained into the world so that God can speak to us and that we can do great things for him. You know, it's very relevant for us today to, to do the same thing. We are, are to, to live in the world, but not of the world. We're in the world, but we're to be separated from the world. Anything that intoxicates us, money, fame, lust of the flesh, philosophies of the world, uh, different mindsets, you know, it will ultimately dull our spiritual senses and draw us away from God. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, and read with me there, beginning with verse 15, as he makes this statement, and we'll see in a sense it's really the same thing that is paralleling along the line with this Nazarite vow. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, it says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk uh, on wine, which leads to debauchery, Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing, make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be separated to him. Don't be drunk or intoxicated with the things of the world or in literally with the wine there that would set you apart and, and numb your, your ability to make great good choices for him. They were also to be separated from the corruption of death and this really would magnify the holiness uh, in their life, that they were separated f- uh, from the things that were corruptible. You know, going near, a dead, going near, near death, whether it was a, a dead body or a, a, even an animal or anything, going by death um, would, would make them ritually unclean. Some, as you read through some of the stories, the parables in the Bible, you'll begin to see some of the things that, why that they didn't do what they would do. But Jesus, you know, he went to Lazarus and, and he went to various ones and that, that raised him from the dead. And so he came to a point of where that he was showing that he was holiness. Um, in Romans chapter 6, 23, it says the wages of sin is death. So for us today, the same way as they were not to, to go to a dead body, a corpse, you know, we're not to go around sin. Sin, the wages of sin is death. That sin is corruptible. It will corrupt you. You don't mess around with it. You don't toy with it because it will corrupt you instead of you um, changing it. So we're to avoid all kinds of evil. That's what the apostle told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. Avoid all the appearance of evil. Then also there was the don't cut your hair. You know, this, this was an outward visible sign that a person was a, a Nazarite. And um, you know people could see that. Yahweh was his covering. Yahweh was his strength. It was a symbol of, of covering, of a, whose authority is a symbol of strength. Today, as believers, you know, we live under the authority and the covering of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to demonstrate submission to him through the way that we conduct our lives every day when people see us. And see, that was the thing about the Nazarite. They could, as they went about their life every day, people could see them and, kn- and knew that there was something different about them. But they had set themselves apart. Do people know a difference from you as they see you and they see somebody else at your job? 
You know, when they're in need, do they come by your cubicle and ask you to pray for them? I mean, do they see a a difference in you? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it in in its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. There should be a visible difference in our lives. Just as Samson represented with his long hair that had never been cut, uh, a visible difference that he was set apart to God, our lives should do that. But boy, I tell you, whenever we begin to profess Christ, but we don't live like that, then also it really magnifies it to other people, and they see for sure the sin in in mine and your lives. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul tells the Romans, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable or pleasing to God. See, we're to do that today, and it's to be an outward expression of what we have done in our spirit. He says, this is your spiritual act of worship. Uh, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's when we begin to, to, uh, to manifest that. We'll know that and we can begin to do his good, acceptable, and perfect will when we're under his authority, under his direction and strength. You know, he's been, uh, you know, a Nazarite has been declared righteous, but, and Samson had been declared righteous, but he really failed to make that a reality in his life. Let's see this trail of transgression now that, that Samson begins to go down. I'm sure that all of his life, his mother had told him he was set apart for, for God and for God's purpose and had explained to him the Nazarite vow. As soon as he began in his teenage years and, and just at that, he's probably somewhere around 17, 18, 19 years old. In chapter 14, if you'll turn to chapter 14 there in Judges, we're going to see several stupid steps. Everybody say seven stupid steps that Samson took on his trail of transgression. The first thing is, he went to the wrong place. How many of you sitting in here have ever done that before? Be careful. On his road of transgression, he went to the wrong place. Look at verse 1 of chapter 14. It says, Samson went down to Timnah. Now, you know, that would be, you could just preach right there. He went down to Timnah. He went down. He really did go down. When he went down to Timnah, he went down. He went down geographically. He also went down spiritually. Uh, And really, the writer here is telling us two different things. And the first is that he did go down geographically. You know, uh, you need to know that where you are determines what grows within you. Your weakness or your strength. Where you are. Where you are is very important. The Bible has a lot of different stories about talking about where they were. And if they were in, in that place called there, if they went there where God told them to go, then there was blessings. But if they went there, quote, there where they weren't supposed to go, then they encountered some opposition and defeat. Now, on this trail of transgression, trans, to cr- transgress means uh, to go beyond the limit, to go, beyond, to go to the border and go beyond the border, go beyond the boundaries. Everybody follow me? Well, this name Timna means forbidding. It literally means forbidding, and it was the border town between Judah and the Philistines. And uh, it was full of temptation, and Satan went down to Timnah. He went down to temptation. He went down into this area that's, that uh, 
that he wasn't supposed to be. And so, you know, our assignment from God and, and then his release that he's bringing into our life, it has a geographical importance. Be careful. People are always packing up and moving off to happy land. Everybody thinks, well, you know, it's always better over there. You know, the grass is greener over there. Well, I, I won't have my problems over there. You know, nobody knows me here, and they don't, nobody knows the problems I have here, but I'll be appreciated over there. And I'm sure that Samson was thinking in his hometown, and he'd been set apart, and, and he couldn't do anything, and he had to, had to keep all these Nazarite vows, and why? He didn't care. He didn't care about his people anyway. It, he wanted to care about himself. It was time for him to be looking out for himself, and, he, and nobody appreciated him here, so he went there. Hello. Our assignment from God has a release, and that release has as much to do geographically as it does spiritually. So we need to be where God calls us to be. We need to be at that place called there. If you'll remember in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 2 through 4, that God spoke to Elijah. And let me read it for you there in 1 Kings 17, verse 2. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook that I have ordered, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. We need to be in God's place called there. And not running from where he wants us to where we want to be. You know? So not only did, did Samson go down geographically, but he also went down spiritually. As I said that word for the town, the, the meaning of the, the town's name, Timnah, meant forbidding. And just as the forbidden fruit seemed to be the one that stood out to Adam and Eve, and Satan magnified that forbidden fruit, seems like it's the same thing that Satan magnified Timnah for Samson, and he went down to Timnah. And it was, he was so desired to go there. You know, it, it, it's taking us away from God's best and down the wrong trail taking us away from what God has, and away from where God wants to bless us. There's miracles at, at God's place. You know, God, God has a there, and Satan has a there. Are you following me? And we need to be at God's place called there. We need to be at that place, not where we think it's going to be better. You know, in his first public act, Samson leaves the land of Israel where he had been planted and uh, he heads for the border town. He runs for the mountain, so to speak, and he heads for the Philistines. And to put it bluntly, you know, Samson left God's people and he headed south spiritually. And remember, abstaining from, from the fruit of the vine uh, was to give up worldly pleasures and not to be intoxicated with the things so that you, you're not making the proper decisions. Well... Hmm. First thing that Samson does, he heads into the worldliness, gets into that. And, and I guess the question would be, why did he go to the wrong place? Maybe some of you ask yourself that, why did I go to the wrong place? What made me do that? I'll tell you why he went to the wrong place, because he was looking for the wrong thing. He was looking for the wrong thing. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Wow. Sat Samson's light had really turned down and it was darkness now. And just as Jesus said it, but if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
He began to develop blindness spiritually before he was ever blinded way over in that next, uh, the two chapters over after Delilah, after his experience with Delilah. He was already being blinded here. And then Jesus goes on to say there, he wraps up there in verse 23 in Matthew 6, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? We see that the light that was in Samson, that he'd been uh, entrusted, had been put into him, I'm sure, through his mother, how he had been set apart, that became darkness, and he wasn't seeing that any longer. He was desiring something else. And so he says, uh, you know, there's a couple things here. Again, notice that Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. He saw. He went to the wrong place because he was looking, already looking for the wrong thing. Never gaze at something that doesn't belong in your future. To gaze means to look intently in a long, you know, for a long time. And he went down and said he saw there a young Philistine woman. If he could have heard the words of Jesus, but that was before Jesus, but it was the word of the Lord, but it's the same thing there. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It brings about all types of iniquity when we begin to look for the wrong thing. Self-will, rebellion is within us. Instead of the, the Spirit of God leading us, it's us leading us. And so, really, it brings about a, dev- a defiance of authority or control. Let's see if we can look in on Samson and his dad. Dad. I found the girl God has for me. So tell me, what family is she from? Uh, I don't know. You don't know? How can you not know? We know every family in our tribe. Well, she's not exactly from our tribe. So where is she from? Hi. Judah. No. Benjamin? No. Manasseh. Just please don't tell me, Gad. (laughs) Well, she's actually not from any of our tribes. She's a... Philistine. What? What did you say? A Philistine. But I love her, and I knew it. I knew it was her from the time I seen her. Enough. She loves me for who I am. Enough. She doesn't care that I'm different. Enough. You know the law of Moses strictly forbids marrying pagans. Her love for idols would turn you away from the Lord. Well, why can't I turn her away from idols? If they can do it to us, why can't we do it to them? Because, Samson, that is not why you want to marry her. Your eyes are not following the Lord. You, you've always had eyes for pretty girls. But it doesn't matter. You're not old enough to be married. Let's say you'll wait till you're at least, say, 30. And then we'll find you a nice Hebrew girl. 30? Hebrew girls are boring. Boring? Boring? (laughs) Samson, your mother is boring. Okay, faithful. Your mother is faithful. Here's what you need. 
You need a daughter of Abraham that will be faithful to you and to God. But I love her. Love her? What do you even know about love? You're only 18. You don't even have any life experience. Well, how am I supposed to experience anything if you keep me away from everything? I can't cut my hair. I can't drink wine. I couldn't even go to Uncle Steve's funeral. Son, marrying this girl is a mistake. Then let me make it. No. You got to get her for me. That is something I cannot do. Look, tomorrow we will go meet with the elders and talk about getting you a wife from our tribe. No. Yes. No! Samson begins to feel his own strength and it em emboldens his self-centeredness. In Judges chapter 14, verse 2, it says, When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me. It was customary that the parents would arrange the dowry and, and to arrange the marriage. And so he was telling his dad, you got to go make arrangements for me to marry this Philistine woman. In verse 3, we see that his parents charge here. He says, his father and mother replied, isn't there an ex acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's right. Uh, she's the right one for me is, is how he said it. You know, here he begins to defy God and his parents. And uh, it leads him to the next point in the road to ruin, that he made the wrong choice. You know, he went to the wrong place because he was looking for the wrong thing. And when he got there, he made the wrong choice. Has anybody ever been on the road to ruin? Amen. He made the wrong choice. You see, he had a rebel's heart. That's why he made the wrong choice. We'll make wrong choices in our life when we have a rebel's heart in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, it says, For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and the arrogance, and arrogance like uh, the evil of idolatry. So rebellion is the sin of witchcraft or divination. That's evil. That's iniquity. Doing my will instead of God's will. Walking in iniquity. That's what he began to do. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 17, it says, The highway of the upright avoids evil. He who guards his way guards his life. Samson needed to put a guard over his eyes and over his mind and to, to remain set apart for God. People today, in this day and age that we live in, not just young people, but all of us need to, to put a guard over our mind. We need to put a guard over our eyes. We need to put a guard over our mouth. We think that we're so strong and we can handle anything, but yet those things lead us to where we begin to fall if we're not careful. You know, the desire to live uh, for self, you know, well, let me make it. Let me make this mistake. It's my mistake. It's my life. It won't matter. It doesn't matter to anybody else. Yes, it does. Your life affects a lot of people. And uh, so Samson doesn't realize that Satan has already blinded him spiritually and has already bound him to lust. Yeah, he's, Satan is setting Samson up for uh, this itinerary of iniquity, if you will. Not only did he 
you know, uh, on this way, start to make bad decisions because he had a rebel's heart, but also he had a prideful perspective. In Proverbs 16, 18, it says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Verse 20 says, whoever gives heed to instruction prospers and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. But if you don't, you see, as I said, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We see that pride developing in Samson's life thinking only of himself, we see that haughty spirit rising up in him. And you know, there's no, he didn't look for some seven step uh, decision making process. You know, he doesn't seek information first and then try to make a good decision. He uh, is defiant, he rejects all the information, all the information that he'd ever heard and been taught. He says, ah, that's old fashioned. You know, being righteous and, and being holy, that's old fashioned. Uh, he doesn't make his decisions based upon spiritual values or moral values or even cognition, the things that he really knew. He should have known better than do certain things like that, but he doesn't make those decisions, his decisions based on those things. I don't know about you, if you've ever been there or not, but sometimes when we go to the wrong place because we're looking for the wrong thing, we begin to make the wrong choices and we don't even consider what's right, what's good, or anything like that. It's just because that's what we want. Samson is self-centered and has sensuous appetites and um, he the other reason that he makes these wrong choices is because he has a foolish focus he's playing the fool if you will in the 22nd verse of, of Proverbs 16 it says understanding is a fountain of life to those who have it but folly brings punishment to the fools boy those words will ring true for Samson as he plays the fool over his the next few weeks and months of his life <clears throat> You know, despite the pleas uh, from his parents, Samson is settled in his heart and, in his, and his mind is made up and nobody's going to tell him anything different. You know, that phrase that he says there in verse 3, she's the right one for me, literally reads, she is right in my eyes. She's right in my eyes. But his eyes weren't set right. They were looking for the wrong thing. He doesn't care what his parents think. He doesn't care what God thinks. He doesn't care if it's right or wrong. He doesn't care uh, what anybody else thinks. He does, all he wants is, is his way. And what he wants and, and what he feels, that's what he uh, wants to bring to himself. And so he disrespects his parents. And uh, <clears throat> he, he disrespects what they, their desire for him. He just disrespects God. And he blatantly disrespects uh, the authority that he's, he's under. And when there's rebellion in the heart, you know, it manifests itself through disrespect for others and disrespect for God, the things of God. When you find yourself doing as you please and with no regard for uh, those who are in authority over you or no regard for people around you, then you're headed for trouble, as it said there in Proverbs 16:22. When you could care less about what God thinks, then you're headed for trouble. When you could, uh, <clears throat> when you should show uh, you know, respect for others, but yet you show no regard for people's feelings, you're headed for trouble. That's what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 4. If you'll turn to Proverbs, the fourth proverb there. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. This, these words were written long after 
uh, Samson was born and he walked, but I'm sure that the wise man Solomon could look back and use Samson's life as an example to write, those, to write down those words. This trail of temptation comes, uh, comes, along, uh, it comes along with a, an itinerary of iniquity that Satan begins to check off his list in a sense. You know, he was supposed to be uh, delivering the Hebrews from the Philistines, but he couldn't even deliver himself from the lust of his heart. He was supposed to be looking for ways uh, to deliver his people, but he was looking for something to please him is what he was doing. He was conforming to the world around him rather than being set apart and being conformed to the image of God. In chapter 14 there, Judges, if you go back to Judges 14, verse 7, it says, then he went down and talked with the woman and he liked her. You know, he first he saw her, so he wanted his dad to go make arrangements. And then he went back, and so he's falling further and further. Now he went down, and he talked with her, and he liked her. Get, getting serious now. Like kids, when I, back in my day, it used to be it were going, we were going steady, you know, on a steady basis. And now it's like, well, well, we're talking. You know, we're talking. Well, that's what happened here, Satan. They were talking together. And, um, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 1533 says, do not be dismayed uh, or be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there, is, there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Boy, those words of Paul ought to grip us and shake us apart from the mistakes that Samson's making in his itiner itinerary of iniquity. Again, Paul says, don't, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good, good character, good morals. Back in Judges chapter 14, verse 10, it says, Now his father went down with him to see the woman, and Samson made a feast there, as was customary for bridegrooms. And when he appeared, he was given 30 companions. So he goes down, things are his dad makes arrangements, everything's set up. Now what Samson begins to do is, it says there, it says, And Samson made a feast there. <clears throat> wow. He's already conforming to the world. That was the Philistine, that's their traditions. So he's beginning to get into the traditions of the world rather than the traditions of God. Where it says that Samson made a feast there as was customary for the bridegrooms. You know, the, the Hebrew word used there is a drinking bash is what it was. They were having uh, just a big old drinking brawl. Just, and, you know, again, a Nazarite's supposed to avoid the fruit of the vine. He's not supposed to be drinking at all. But what does Samson do? He's adopted these things, and now it's no different. He's drinking just like everybody else, getting intoxicated. He was supposed to avoid these things. He begins to fraternize with the enemy and uh, getting further away from God. And, but he's getting closer to the things of the world. In Judges chapter 14, verse 12. Look at that with me. Let me tell you a riddle, he says to him. You know, he'd been given 30 bridegrooms, uh, or groomsmen that was given to him. So they're all Philistines, you know. And here he is, he's in bad company. And so he's drinking a little bit, they're drinking a little bit. So then, you know, you get a little mouthy, you get him want to show a little here and there, you know, like who you are. And he says, let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you, if you, can tell, if you can't tell me the answer, uh, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. So he made a little wager with them. You know, the, what he didn't 
tell him was, and what we didn't see here, we kind of passed by, that when Samson and his parents were going down the first time, when he went down uh, to Timna, to he went through a vineyard and, he, and a lion came out to attack him. And so Samson killed that lion. Uh, it says he ripped him apart as just, you know, as they would a goat. He just ripped him apart and he went on down. And he didn't tell his parents that he'd come in contact with, with, the, uh, with death because, you know, he's a Nazarite. He wanted to hide that from him. He shouldn't have been there in the first place, right? Can't tell anybody. So he couldn't tell. It's a pretty big feat to, to kill a lion with your own hands, but he couldn't tell anybody because was, he wasn't supposed to be there. When they went down the second time, he went over to check on this carcass and the bees had come into it and had built, made some honey in it. And so he scoops the honey out and he eats it and he's nourished and strengthened and he gives it to his parents and they go on down. Well, Satan, uh, Samson's um, riddle was along this line of the honey, you know, out of that, uh, the beast there that the honey came and, and it was sweet to eat. And, and so he'd made the, this rhyme up for them and, uh, to see if they could interpret it. Of course, they didn't know anything. They, they couldn't interpret it. And so by the fourth day, the groomsmen were getting pretty nervous about this because they were going to have to come up with some, some clothes, some duds for, uh, some, for Samson. And verse 15 there in Judges 14, it says, On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. In other words, we'll, we'll burn you down and kill you. And so the word coax there means to seduce a simple-minded person. That was their idea of Samson. He's so simple-minded, he can't think of nothing else but just this, these women. So you coax him, you seduce him into giving you the, the answer here. And so, in fact, 20 years later, they're going to say the same thing when he's with Delilah. And Samson could be seduced because he, uh, he was driven by his lust, not driven by the, the Word of God. So the groomsmen, you know, they know the secret. Now they know the secret to the riddle because they got his bride-to-be to, to give it to him. And they come to Samson at the last moment and they, uh, with their answer. And uh, in verse 18, in Judges 14, verse 18, Samson said to them, if you, had, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved the riddle. You know, now he's not, shouldn't be make, I don't think that would probably encourage his wife-to-be when he's calling her his heifer, but it was a, a, a term of speech, I guess. You know, if you hadn't hooked up with my heifer and went out there messing with my field, you wouldn't even know. Why. There's no explanation for calling your wife a heifer, so I'm not even going to try to explain it, but here's the key. Friends will create comfort, but enemies create change. And he's around his enemy. And so God knows that there's going to be some change in Samson's life. And God permits these things to bump Samson out of this thing of participating with the Philistines and, Philistines and hanging out with them. He's hoping that it will jog him back to his purpose. So since Samson had lost the bet, now he had to go out and he had to get some Armani suits for all of these uh, groomsmen that daddy had. And uh, so he goes out and he catches uh, 300 fox. Now, I don't know about 300 fox, but he goes out and he gets them. And, and uh, so he, or, or not, not at that particular line, he goes down, it says, to, to another place. And in fact, in verse 19, uh, here comes Samson with all the clothes that said, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of their belongings, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he went up to his father's house, and, uh, and Samson's wife was given to the friend who had attended him at his wedding. You know, he went down, and so here's the first thing. He doesn't look for God's solution. He gets all mad. He's burning with anger, and so he just develops his own solution. I'll just go down and kill 30 Philistines and take their clothes, and I'll take them back and pay my debt off. 
We're going to work on our solution, not God's solution. The problem that infuriates, here's a little wisdom key for you. The problem that infuriates you the most is the problem that God has assigned you to solve. It should have jogged his thought, his thinking of, okay, wait a minute, God, I got myself into a mess here. Forgive me for being where I'm supposed to be, but help me now get out of this mess and give me the solution to the problem. He didn't do that. He let his anger just spark, and he made his own, his, how he was going to resolve it. So he just went down and killed 30 Philistines and just got their clothes and brought them back. Well, there's another problem is now he's having to touch the dead corpse of the Philistines that he just killed to get their clothes. He's so far from God that, uh, and he's so into himself that he doesn't even know what God's will is. If he would have paused for a second and went to pray and to seek God, God would have given him his will. You know, anger is the birthplace of solutions. That's what causes us to, to solve problems. And, you know, a lot of times men won't do anything until they get fed up and get so frustrated that they got to do something. And that ought to drive us to our knees instead of driving us to go out and do what we please. It ought to drive us to our knees and ask God for the solution. Many great things have been invented because of somebody got angry enough at that old thing or that, that problem there that they found a solution. But not Samson. He, well, he solved this problem, but he solved it his way. And we see here that, you know... Um, Verse 19, it gives us his solution. He just went down and, and killed these guys. And we're seeing already that sin takes you further than you're willing to go. Here he is. He's going down. You know, uh, we're to be separated from the corruption of death. Remember, that's sin. That represents sin to us. The wages of sin is death. And so that's separating him further and further. And something that could have brought him closer to God through repentance and asking God to, for, for wisdom and for a solution, he just went further and further away, got involved in more sin and driving him further and further away from God's will. So we see that now he's a renegade and he's on a rampage. And so he's going out, he's doing his own thing. And, and he's angry because he's been publicly humiliated and uh, his feelings of romance are gone. And he's just gone out and done what he wants. And it says that he was angry and he went to his father's house. He went home, he didn't even go back to where the wedding was. And it says that the, bride's, uh, the bride-to-be, her father gave her to his friend that came with him, who was his only best man, I guess, gave her to him because he was embarrassed by being there and inviting everybody to come to the wedding. So he said, well, we're going to have a wedding. And so he, he gave uh, his daughter to Samson's friend. Well, let's take a look, a little peek here in chapter 15 of the, the root of the renegade, or the route of the renegade, however you want to say that. Uh, turn to Judges 15. As you're turning there, I want to remind us of in the book of Romans, in chap- chapter 12, verse 19, Paul says, uh, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Satan is now on this rampage of revenge, and he just thinks, I've got a right to do this because they did something to me, I'm going to do something to them. And it just seems like it builds more and more, and it gets to be an endless cycle. In verse, or chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Later on, at the time of the wheat harvest, so it had been a little while later, Samson took a young goat and he went to visit his wife. Problem number two. Problem number one, don't call her a heifer. Problem number two, don't take her a goat. <laughs> take her flowers or something like that. But, but we march on. It says he went to visit his wife. He said, I'm going to my, wife, my wife's room, but the father would not let him go in. 
verse 2 of chapter 15. I was so sure you thoroughly hated her, he said. <laughs> was it the, what gave you the clue, Dad? Was it the heifer <laughs> phrase or what was it? Anyway, he says, I was so sure that you thoroughly hated her that I gave her to your, your friend. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. What's going on here, Samson? You're falling down, down, down. And that's exactly what he does. And come on, Samson. He gets so mad, he comes in, he goes out, he catches 300 fox. And it says there in verse 4, it says, so he went went out and caught 300 foxes and tied their, them tail to tail in pairs. He then uh, fastened, he said he fastened a torch to, to every pair of tail. He lit the torches and let the foxes loose in, in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks of the standing grain together with the vineyards and the olive groves. They only had three primary uh, crops that brought income into their, into their whole uh, area to the, to the Philistines. That was their grain, the olive oil, and also the, their their wine or the fruit of the vine. And what did he do? With that one act, he destroyed all their economic uh, pro prospects. So, uh, you know, and single-handedly, he destroys all their economic base uh, for the entire nation with those flaming foxes. But God allowed that to accomplish his will because God was inflicting punishment upon the Philistines. And he says, okay, you know, I'll accept this and I'll accomplish my will through this. But yet he's still having to deal with, the with, with Samson. He's, God's having to deal with the Philistines on one hand and Samson on the other. Have you ever been between two things that aren't going quite right? <laughs> and it doesn't mean that it's really, really good, but God accepted it to inflict some punishment and judgment upon the Philistines. So God allowed it to accomplish his will. But, you know, when you try to seek revenge for the wrong that's done to you, you know, you just set in motion... Um, an unending cycle of violence that just keeps going. Look at verse 6 through 8. When the Philistines asked, who did this? They, they were told Samson, the Timnite son-in-law, because his wife was given to his friend. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then... He went down and stayed in the cave in the rock of Edom. Verse 9, there in chapter 15, it says, The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. Uh, the men of Judah asked, Why have you come to fight us? You know, when all these Philistines come down against them, they said, Why have you come to fight us? And uh, they said to him, We have come to take Samson prisoner. They asked uh, to do him as he did to us. Verse 11, then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What, you mess, what are you doing, boy? We, they're, they're rulers over us. Don't be stirring them up. He says, what have, we, uh, what have you done to us? And so, you know, they don't care. They're, what Samson is doing is affecting them, even though they're still living under the bondage of the Philistines. But his actions were affecting them as well and he answered I merely did to them what they did to me that was his answer they said to him verse 12 we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines Samson said swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves and uh, agreed they answered we will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you so they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock 
As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Samson fought, and he went out and he just got what he could. He found the, the jawbone of a, of a donkey. He took that up, and it says that he slaughtered a thousand men. With a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With the donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. Verse 17 says, when he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and, and the place was called Ramoth-Lehi. You know, his prayer in verse 18 was really a sincere prayer. In verse 18 it says, Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? You see, this really is the first time that Samson even acknowledged God's strength, that God had given him the victory. He said, You have given your servant this great victory. Hey, there's hope for Samson. You know, sometimes you and I in our life, we go our own way. We do our own things. We go to the wrong place looking for the wrong thing, and we end up making the wrong choice. But thank God for his saving grace. Thank God that, that we can't go too far, that he can't take us back. And when we fall on our face before God and ask him to forgive us, it, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And he said, you have given your servant this great victory. Finally, Samson is acknowledging himself to kill a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. He knew that that was even beyond his own strength, that God had to do that. You know, this is the greatest prayer that, Satan, that Samson ever prayed. You know, he's saying, Lord, I know that this victory comes from your hand and not from my hand. And it's the one time where he really acknowledged God's presence in his life. You know, even Samson had to confess God's strength and God's power had brought the victory. You know, you and I need to examine our life. We need to look back and say, you know what? It's, it's amazing that I'm still alive. I can look back over my life and think, you know what? It's amazing that I'm still here today. I shouldn't be alive because of certain things that happened in my life. But God had another plan. And he watched it. And Sa Samson is saying, you know what, God? It's by your strength and by your power that, that, I, it, that I was able to accomplish this great victory. In verse 19, it says, then... After this turning to God, it says, Then God opened up the hollow place of Lehi, and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned, and he revived. In the 34th Psalm, verse 8, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Satan begins to enter into God's blessings because he begins to taste of the Lord and knows that God is good. And God does even exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we're able to ask or think. Chapter 15 ends on a high point. It says in verse 20, Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Wow, he turns from Timnah. He turns from going down to coming up. And, and Samson makes a turn in his life, and he turns to God. He, he acknowledges God's hand in his life, that only God's power and strength could do that. He begins to, to partake of God once again. God strengthens him and encourages him. He goes back, and for 20 years, he rules as the judge over Israel, and there was peace for all that 20 years. And that's the end of the first act in, Sa in Samson's life. There'll be much more next week, much more next week. But let me ask you a question. What about you today? Where are you? Where are you in your life? You know, are you on this 
road to ruin? Have you said, you know, I've done this for God and I've done this in my life and set myself apart for God, but has it been for any good? Then you might look and see, well, this happened and this happened and this happened and, and that's, you know, where was God when I needed him at these particular times? You know, are you turning then and getting mixed up with the wrong people? You got to watch out. You know, how are you doing and you're abstaining from the world's program and what the world has to offer? Be careful. Be careful because sin will take you further than you're willing to go. It'll cost you more than you're willing to pay. It'll keep you longer than you're willing to stay. It always does. It always has. It, it, it still will. You know, as Christians, we, we're to live in the world, but we're not to be of the world. We're to be separated from the world. You can't, uh, you can't correct what you are unwilling to confront. And that's why, the, you know, when times come, we have the opportunity, we have the choice to confront our weaknesses, our failures, our flaws in our life, and ask God to forgive us and repent from those things and turn back to him. Thank God that he gives us those opportunities in our life. The Bible says that, that we're to judge ourselves lest we be judged. If we judge those things here, then God removes them as far as the east is from the west. He removes our sin from us. Isn't that good? I don't understand God's grace. It's so amazing. It's beyond comprehension of how God can still love us when we disrespect him and we turn to do our own ways. How are you doing setting yourself apart for him? You know, on the, this Nazarite vow that he took, you know, he, he messed up every one of them up. We're going to see before this thing's over that, you know, how he really violated every one of those things. And he wasn't really set apart for God. As I read at the very beginning of this message, that God has set us apart. Before the foundation of the world, he had a purpose for us. Now we're to come into a, agreement with that and align ourselves and make it a reality. God declares the believing sinner to be righteous. It's through the act of justification that he declares you to be righteous. Now then in our life, every day our walk is sanctification where we set ourselves apart to be holy as God is holy. He's declared us to be righteous. We're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now we're to live like we are that type of people. So that those that see us, they see something different in our lives. If people aren't seeing anything different in your life, then your light's not shining. There's something in you that you need to examine and ask God to help you so that you can be a witness to those that need it. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. You know, you need the purpose in your heart. Just as Samson should have not gone near the, cor the corruption of death, that we shouldn't go near the corruption of sin because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. What about you today? Where are you? Are you a child of God? Are you living your own life? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? God sent his son as a love gift for us. As we receive him, then we're saying, you know, we are acknowledging that he's Lord. He's our covering. If we had long hair, you know, to, I, I bet to the way that the angels look at us and, and the way that we appear in the spiritual realm was, as Tim, we got some long hair with them seven big old long locks of hair, you know, because we're set apart. There's something different. When principalities and powers and rulers in high places, they're able to spot us. They can't miss us because we're set apart. We're marked out. We need to abstain from sin. If you're lost today, if you're, and, and that means that you're just not sure, you're not certain today that Jesus is your Lord, 
You might have heard about him. You might have heard about him all your life. But you haven't made it a reality that you've received him and accepted him. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says that you shall be saved. I want to ask you today, if you have no doubt in your heart that Jesus is your Savior, that you've received him, that you believe that he is the Son of God, then I want you just to raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm a believer. I've received Jesus. I know that without a shadow of a doubt, I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to hell. I believe today. I believe today. Amen. It looked like most everyone raised their hand today, but if you couldn't raise your hand just then and you're not sure, you're not certain about where you're going to spend eternity, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand now. to Say, Pastor, will you pray for me? Because I'm really not sure. If there's anybody here, just raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm not sure. You know, I read the scripture from 1 Thessalonians a while ago. It says, avoid every kind of evil. That means large or small. We're not to be participating in sin. How are you doing in that area? Are you set apart or are you falling apart? Are you setting your life apart to be to the praise and glory of God? Or are you in some areas of your life still going to the wrong place, looking for the wrong thing, making the wrong decisions? Don't be running from God. We need to be running to God. You see, greatness is not the absence of a flaw, but the willingness to overcome it. If there's something in your life that you feel like that, man, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried, and you just give up, no. Overcome that thing. Let God be your strength. Let him prove to you that he is your covering. What is it that angers you? What is it that, that frustrates you? Don't let it drive you away, but perhaps God has placed that within you to help solve those things and ask him that, that he would give you direction on what you're to do for him and his kingdom to turn those things around. Maybe today you'd like to say, maybe you just don't feel like that you're as close to God as you need to be. Maybe you've made some choices and did your own thing. But today you want to say, God, I want to draw closer to you. I want to come home. I want to come back to you in my life. I want you in my decision-making process. I want to be spending time with you. If that's you today, maybe just to the Lord, nobody else, nobody looking around, but just your hand up and then, then back down to God to say, Father, today I just want to make that decision. I want to let you know that I want to be closer to you. I want you closer in my life. I don't want to be running from you. I don't want to be taking things into my own hands. It just gets worse. It goes from, from the 30 to the hundreds and then to finally the thousands. So when we try to handle it on our own, take it into our own hands, we just create more problems. Heavenly Father, today you've seen, seen our hands and you, you know our hearts today, Father. I ask that you would just speak to each one of us, Father, more clearly today, that we need to be about your business. Father, that we would dedicate ourselves afresh and anew to, to you. Father, sometimes it, maybe we have the feelings like Samson, that he had been set apart, he'd done all these things, but it hadn't made a difference to those people around him. All those people he was sent to deliver, they were still just doing what they'd always done. And 
when he didn't see any hope in them, he really didn't see any hope in his mission and his job that you called him to. And he, he began to look at it the wrong way and he began to look for something different. Let me tell you, if you're here today, maybe you've been serving God and you have made some commitments to him and you followed those commitments. But now you look around and you think, you know, did it really make any difference? Did anybody really even care? Did it affect anybody's life for good? I want to tell you something. Well, a few years ago, the devil came to me and he says, oh, you've been preaching all your life. Do you think it's making any difference in people's lives? Does it look like that anything's happening? No, not really. You better watch out. You don't even need to be talking back to the devil. Resist him and he'll flee from you. He can bring discouragement on you. He can bring despair on you to where you just want to just throw off the things of God and just say, well, you know what, I'm just going to do what I want to do. I think I'll just do what I want to do. Oh, yeah, that's always a good decision because trouble's right around the corner. People watch out. Maybe you're there at that, that point. It's when we turn back to God and say, God, it doesn't matter. I'm to serve you, not results-oriented. You take care of the results. I'm just going to be obedient. I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be obedient to what you call me to do and let you handle the, re the results. Maybe you've been looking at results in your life or those around you or various things and you don't see much results and it can bring discouragement to you. I want to tell you today, stop looking at results and just keep looking at God. Be encouraged today. It ain't over until that angel sings and shouts, that trumpet shouts and we're out, uh, sounds and we're out of here. I don't think it could be long. But people, we've got a great work to do because the world around us is just like the Philistines and the church, sad to say, is really intertwined and, and integrated into the world system. It takes somebody to stand up and to shine. You know, God needs some Samsons that will be obedient. He needs some mighty men and women that will stand up and deliver the, the people of God from the hands of the enemy today. And he's calling you and I to do that. He's calling us to rise up and to, to be set apart for him, to honor him in all areas of our life. I challenge you to do that. I challenge you to search your ways, search your heart right now and see if there's any area that you need to change and that where you need to come back to God. Can we just take just a moment in his presence to do that? Search your life today. Just as David said, search me, O God, know my ways. See if there be any wicked way, any evil way, any iniquity, any of my way, my self-centeredness in me. I'm forever yours, Lord. I'm forever yours. That ought to be the reply that we give back when we search for him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, stand with me this morning. And let's pray and be dismissed. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for your presence here with us today. Thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship you and to come boldly to your throne of grace, to obtain mercy, to find grace to help us in our time of need. Thank you for your word that just pierces through the darkness of our life and finds our soul and confronts us. Lord, help us to be mindful of you. Help us, Father, to, to set ourselves apart, to be to the praise of your glory that we'd live a life that expresses you and your goodness. 
and your blessings on our life. Father, just bless every household and every business that's represented here today. And Father, as we go, we go as light to dispel darkness, light to be seen, that others would be attracted to us, Father, that we might be able to, to help them and that they might break free from the darkness in their life. We give you praise now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let me just say one thing I forgot. Uh, our very dear friends, Mike and Doris Foster, are here from Topeka, Kansas today.